Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening, and welcome back to an adventure in history. I'm Alana, here tonight with Mac. It's been a good week. It's the middle of October. I know, I love it. It feels like fall, for sure. I love fall. Fall is my favorite time. It is, yeah, I like it. It's usually lovely here on the Oregon coast, right? November 2, I always hold out that November is going to be nice as well. Even without the rain, even with the rain, it's still okay. Mm, But I, I I like just cool wind and... Yeah. So... Uh, Talking Tombstones coming up on the 30th. I know, it's exciting. We're very excited to bring it back. I keep wanting to bring like a tease and, on here. Have I, have I talked you into it yet? Maybe. Okay. So so you know we always have subtitles. I didn't. So it's Talking Tombstones 17. Mm-hmm. And the, the second year we did it, just to make myself laugh, like an old like horror movie from the 1950s, <laughs> Bride of Frankenstein, Son of Frankenstein, I, I, we start creating these little subtitles. So because everything's connected to the fire this year, the 1922 fire, Talking Tombstone 17, Ashes to Ashes. <laughs> oh, you. We've got, we've got <laughs> you a loved list. loved that, didn't you? We, I, we did. You did. So, so I really wanted someday to do the Lewis and Clark Cemetery, but it's really tiny and there's no parking. Just for the subtitle, it would be Lewis and Clark, Corpse of Discovery. Because nobody will read it as corpse. They'll read it as core of discovery. Right. That's a good one. And that'll make me laugh even more. <laughs> and where's that cemetery? Oh Where gosh, it? it's. I mean, obviously Lewis and Clark. Clark. Yeah, it's Lewis and Clark area. Area, but a yeah, small one. Small. Yeah, Fort Stevens would be good too, but it's also very tiny, and almost everybody there drowned. But there's oh. there's a lot of military people there, but there it's are, tiny. There, yeah. But there's a cemetery there. Yeah. Oh, oh I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I have yeah. to ask my very important uh, volunteers that work out <laughs> there. I, I have to say, Greenwood is still my favorite place. Yeah, though. I know that it's you privately like that owned, one. but it's it's just it's a beautiful location. There's great stories in it. Um, yeah, so, a neat couple that yeah. still out there maintaining yeah. it. Yeah. Yes, but uh, okay. we'll be at Ocean View. Okay, which is beautiful. Of it course. is. It is wonderful, and uh, like I said, all the characters will tie into to the fire, fire somehow. Okay, they might have memories. They might have been directly involved, and uh, it's always the last Sunday in October, mm-hmm. and it starts at one, and then we always say dusk, and we define that as somewhere between. Three thirty-four and and like five o'clock. How Whatever. long does it take? It takes about an hour or so to go through. We, we have ten characters usually, and we tell people the characters to go about five minutes, but most of them go about five to ten. Sure. So you gotta times that by the ten characters. Mm-hmm. So once you get started, it's it's about an hour and a half to okay. see and hear all of the characters. And what you're getting is a, so sometimes a there's a line into waiting. the life of a real person. Yeah. Um, and they're given sort of bullet points about that person. We don't write a script. Right. We've had people that are actors that have not enjoyed this experience because <laughs> they want us to hand them a script. Sure. But our philosophy is we, we give you enough information. We want you to become that person. Right. If you're one of the actors portraying mm-hmm. the person whose grave you're standing over. Right. Uh, sometimes we'll guide them with we really want you to talk about this part of this person's life. It's not about the, the I was born on this day to right. hear so-and-so-and-so-and-so, and I married on this day and had these three children. It's about a story, right? a spe- specific one, and this time it's going to be somehow tying it into the fire. Into the fire, okay. All right, so not necessarily so. for kids, but older 
No. Youth, I mean, teenagers might be interested. Because though. we've taken a few years yeah. off. We might get those phone calls. In the yeah. early days, we got a lot of phone calls thinking it was like a haunted house thing. Mm-hmm. Like, is it scary for kids? I said it might bore them to death. Right. It's not scary. <laughs> you know? But it's, it's also true. It's, I mean, we're telling stories yep. of these people's lives. Yes. So. Okay. Anyway. Exciting. Um, we're glad to have it back. I know people love it. Yes. It is It is one of our kind of signature things. And it's one of the things I'm proud of yeah. um, because it's free. It's a free event. Um, donations are always accepted. But uh, it draws a lot of people. So uh, there is a bit of a crowd. And I suspect this year there might be a really big crowd since it's the finally first, returned. Yeah, <laughs> um, so be patient and wait with us. We'll have candy for you. <laughs> So, while you're waiting. And I'll, I'll do a little shtick while you're waiting, too. Of course you will. If you just can't get enough Mac. Ashes to ashes. <laughs> All right. So, because uh, we got a fun show today. We do. It's just you and me. I love it. Which is always fun. I know. Uh, so, these are things that happen tomorrow, October 17th. 79. Oh, I love it. <laughs> just the year 79. I like saying that. Uh, Mount Vesuvius erupts, burying the cities of Pompeii. Mm-hmm. And I should have realized there were other cities. We always talk about Pompeii. Right. Um, Herculaneum. Okay. Oplantis. <laughs> and Stable. Stable. And killing thousands. New research in 2018 suggests the eruption occurred on or after this date, not the previously used and assumed August 24th. But still on so, or about. <laughs> so research has moved it from August to October. That's well, okay. That's a pretty big gap. That is. So, um, but I like I, I would like to live in Herculaneum. Sure, I'm sure. It's a nice town name. Prior to or after the <laughs> the <laughs> eruption? <laughs> probably neither. Pro- if I was there before, then I'd probably be <laughs> dead. Dead. Although of course, well, I, was, I mean, seventy nine. If, yeah. <laughs> if I was living in seventy nine, I'd probably be dead by now anyway. Right. So. Yes. All right, um, 1904. You're getting silly like me. Uh, 1904, the Bank of Italy is founded by Amadeo Giannini, and it opens its doors in San Francisco. And, of course, we care because it becomes the Bank of, of America. Oh, okay. There we go. You're probably like, Bank of Italy, what do I we know. care? I know, yeah. Uh, 1931, Al Capone goes to prison. Good for him. Got to pay your taxes. Yes, among other things. <laughs> Which is such a double-edged sword, because if he had filed his taxes and said, yeah, I made all this money illegally, right. then he'd be admitting to a crime. Mm-hmm. So if he doesn't do his taxes, though, that's the crime. Right. So, I mean, I guess the news is you shouldn't be a criminal. I, I think that, again, like I said, among other things, you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, 1933, Albert Einstein arrives in the U.S. as a refugee from Nazi, uh, Nazi Germany. I like that. I like that, too. Yep. He's pretty smart. I like the book, The Other Einstein, though. I've talked about that before. It's about his wife, oh. who is uh, just about as smart, I mean, or, or equally as smart as him. So kind of an interesting, it's a fictional version of a true story, though. Ah, okay. Yep. Um, 1939, it's not an Oregon film, but it does make my top like 20 films. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, 1939, is released, uh, directed by Frank, Frank Capra and starring Jimmy Stewart and Gene Arthur. That's a good one. No, sir. I will not yield the floor. <laughs> I've just always loved that film. <laughs> well, <laughs> he, will, he will not. He'll speak all night. Yes. And, it's and popular. Take control of Congress. All right. Uh, 1973, OPEC in the oil embargo. Okay. See, I'm old enough. I do remember like, get, it's being in gas lines and depending on your license plate, whether it was an even number or an odd number. Oh. You could get your gas on this day, or you had to wait till tomorrow. Oh, man. Yeah, 
which even as a kid, I was thinking, what if you have like one of those vanity plates? <laughs> Are you allowed to go any day or do you have right. to get a special request or something? That's curious. I just remember, I'm old enough to remember that you pay a lot less for gas when you live in the Southeast. <laughs> yes. Still don't quite understand that, but it's a lot cheaper over there, folks. <laughs> 2006, the U.S. population reaches 300 million people. Oh, wow. 2006. Uh, 2008, Iran's attempt to create the world's largest sandwich, 1,500 meters long, fails when crowds eat it before it can be measured. (laughs) (laughs) This one made me laugh on a number of different levels. (laughs) On the list of things you didn't plan for. (laughs) That it's in Iran, first of all. (laughs) If you're thinking big sandwiches, don't you just normally go to America? (laughs) I I guess. Iran. They're making big sandwiches in Iran. Who would have guessed? (laughs) Maybe I need to go visit Iran or something. But they forgot that little detail. Don't eat the sandwich. But but then people just start eating it. We haven't measured it yet. Oh, my God. I feel badly for the people making the sandwich and, like, (laughs) creating this whole event. Right. Nobody said, don't eat it until we blow the whistle or something. And I wonder what kind of sandwich it was. Right? Well, look it up, folks. Anyway. Um that one just made me laugh. But our, our history highlight of the day thing I think had the most important uh, impact on history. 1777. The uh, Americans oh, win yes. more than a battle at Saratoga in New York. British general and playwright John Burgoyne surrenders 5,000 British and Hessian troops to American general Horatio Gates at Saratoga, New York on this day in 1777. Oh, that's a good one. And it's important because because <clears throat> we really didn't win a lot of battles in the American Revolution. We just didn't lose. That was right. the genius of George Washington is he never had to surrender. He never had all of his troops quit and go home. Right. Uh, but this battle made it kind of serious, and uh, they took notice in France, and that's when France comes in on our side. They're like, well, geez, okay, yeah. maybe you guys are for real. Worked, so, worked in our favor. It did. So an important did, battle. You did forget one. What I missed. Uh, 1773. There was only uh, one thing standing in Ben Franklin's way as he prepared to launch his poor Richard's almanac. Ooh, 1733. Yes. Now, this was a man named Titan Leeds who inconveniently conveniently was publishing a successful almanac of his own. So Franklin killed him. What? <laughs> Not by any conventional murderous means, but by simply declaring Titan Leeds dead. Did you know that you could do that? <laughs> it seems like something you'd be doing on the internet no, no. today, fact not check, back then. Folks, fact check. Writing in the voice of a fictional alter ego, the lowly henpecked Richard Saunders, Franklin pretended to have high regard. For my good friend and fellow student, Mr. Titan Leeds. Which is why he claimed to have held off publishing his own almanac for so long. But then he added, This obstacle, I am far from speaking it with pleasure, is soon to be removed, since inexorable death who is never known to respect merit, has already prepared the mortal dart. The fatal sister has already extended her destroying shears, and that ingenious man must soon be taken from us. So many adjectives. Franklin went on to predict the exact date and time of his rival's inexorable death, October 17th, 1773, at precisely (laughs) 3.29 p.m. Of course, when that day came and went, Leeds took great relish in excoriating Franklin in the 1734 edition of his almanac as a, quote, conceited scribbler, end quote, (laughs) who had manifested himself as a fool and a liar. Ah, but poor Richard was ready for that predictable response. Surely the real Titan Leeds must be dead. 
He insisted later that year, an imposter's taken his place, for his friend would never attack him so cruelly. Mr. Leeds was too well-bred to use any man so indecently and scurriously, and moreover, his esteem and affection for me was extraordinary. (laughs) Franklin continued to bury Leeds, literally, until 1738, when the poor man really did pass away. Five years. Hmm. I mean, that's sticking to your point. Five years he's saying the guy's dead. At that point, poor Richard commended the imposters for ending their charade and printed a letter from the ghost of Titan Leeds, admitting that I did actually die at that time, October 17, 1733, precisely at the hour you mentioned, with a variation of only five minutes and 53 seconds. Oh my goodness. That is <laughs> that just it's unbelievable, yet also very, very believable. It, it doesn't seem like something would happen today. It, it does. So, I mean, this is why we have like, uh, you can go and fact check things, right? Or, or do checks to see if things are like an old wives' tale right. or what's that? Snopes, right? You can. <laughs> but I just love, okay, I'm going to finally publish this thing, but I'm going up against somebody who's already doing an almanac. So I'm going to say he's dead. So you should read mine instead. And people believed it. And they did. Five years. And I love the guy that's alive going, I'm not dead. Right. <laughs> what are you talking about? And that Benjamin Franklin just keeps doing it. Yeah. Like, oh, he really is. There's imposters. It's not really you. Oh, my goodness. And I really, it's kind of just an ego thing because he did publish the almanac before him anyways. Yes. Right. Yes. So. I'd forgotten, though, that, I mean, poor Richard's almanac, we've all mm-hmm. heard of it. We probably all read a little bit of it at some point in our lives, but I forgot that it's actually like a full name, Richard Saunders. Right. <laughs> so that caught me off guard a little bit when I saw that. Right. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that made me think, mm-hmm. even though it's not local history. It's not. When I saw Ben Franklin, I, I've been sitting on something I found a, a while ago, and this is uh, Bizarre Facts About Benjamin Franklin, Genius, Founding Father, and Delightful Wacko, I might add. <laughs> and And I will say... I'll let you read the first part because I know you're not going to like the second part. There's some of these that I'm not going to like. There's a little. It's, he's a little bit risque. I mean, we need to know that about Ben Franklin. If you don't already, I mean, he was. He's you know, odd. He's odd. He's a bit of a horn dog. And and I remember one of my favorite quotes. We had our curator Chelsea Vaughn, and I read something about Ben Franklin. I said, "Who doesn't love Ben Franklin?" And Chelsea said, "I bet his wife had a little bit of a problem with him because <laughs> he certainly he he certainly cheated on her." Yes. So. There's a lot to not like about Ben Franklin, especially in today's lenses. <laughs> and I am not one that likes juvenile humor. I was going to say this is a little bit like seventh grade boy humor. Yeah. So one of these is very, very middle school humor. Okay. So we're going to let you do that one. Yes. Okay. So you can start it off. Benjamin Franklin was one of America's founding fathers, as well as a scientist, statesman, author, printer, activist, postmaster, and diplomat. He is renowned for his discoveries and theories on electricity and is credited with inventing swimming fins, bifocals, the lightning rod, a flexible catheter, and many other inventions we use today. Swimming fins. I know, that's kind of fun. That caught me off guard. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like the idea because I'm picturing Ben Franklin as an old man. Right. In traditional colonial garb, but with modern swim fins. Swim fins. <laughs> and like going to the pool with a snorkel. <laughs> yeah. So we like to have his fun. Uh, he was born in 1706 and was a middle child. His parents, who were soap and candle makers, could not afford to send him to school longer than two years. So by the age of 10, young Benjamin began working alongside his father. By the age of 12, he had become his brother James's apprentice in a printing shop. Franklin did not lack of access to a formal education, to, or did not let that 
um, to prevent him from becoming one of America's most influential and famous figures. Now, while his major scientific accomplishments are widely known to most Americans, there are still some rather unusual facts, we'll say, (laughs) about Franklin that uh, many were not taught in school. Okay, so I didn't want to use the word fart because I do find that kind of juvenile, but (laughs) but he uses it, so I couldn't think of a way to read this without using his words. So I do apologize (laughs) because... It does seem to me kind of juvenile, but it was still (laughs) part of this piece. So he wrote an essay about farting and passing gas. While living abroad as the United States ambassador to France in 1781, Franklin penned an infamous essay entitled Fart Proudly, (laughs) which is also known as a letter to a Royal Academy about farting and to the Royal Academy of Farting. Franklin sent the letter to Richard Price, a Welsh philosopher and Unitarian minister, and to his friends. In the essay, Franklin proposed that there should be a scientific study conducted on passing gas and that researchers (laughs) should develop a drug to make the act of farting less offensive. He wrote in part, It is universally well known that in digesting our common food, there is created or produced in the bowels of human creatures a great quantity of wind. That the permitting this that permitting this air to escape and mix with the atmosphere is usually offensive to the company from the fetid smell that accompanies it. He's he's not wrong. He is not wrong. No, <laughs> but the fact that this is like part of his official papers now. An essay. An essay. Yeah. Uh, here's another one. In 1748, Franklin wrote a letter to his friend Peter Collinson of Philadelphia, in which he described a picnic he was planning on the banks of the. Ooh, I don't know how to say this. Something river. Shulkill. There you go. He mentioned that the main course was going to be turkey and how he planned on preparing it. A turkey is to be killed for our dinner by electric shock and roasted by the electrical jack before a fire kindled by the electrified bottle. But when he prepared the bird, a flash of light engulfed Franklin. He had electrocuted himself (laughs) while trying to cook the turkey. He later told his brother in a letter that the biggest injury he sustained was to his ego. Also during the picnic, Franklin also planned on using electricity to ignite flammable liquids, drink a toast in electrically heated glasses, and set off explosions. He's a goofball. Just cook the meal, Ben. <laughs> okay, okay. So that, I don't know why, but that image to me is like the the videos that you see on YouTube and other places of people deep frying turkeys and that going horribly awry. Right. Yes. Now I seem to recall. Have you had experience with deep frying turkeys? Oh, yes. Yep. Okay, I thought so. Yep. Mark's done it. And then when I lived in Florida in the South, of course, that's like the only way that you could eat a turkey. Yes. And my experience is in the South as well. Yeah. So what is your thoughts on on straight up the taste? Is it better deep fried? Oh, my goodness. Yes. See, I kind of think so, too. Hands down. But the it's whole, so good. But the whole practice of doing it kind of frightens me. But I like the uh, smell, like when you cook it in your home. I mean, mm-hmm. it just smells so good, right? And so you don't get that because you have to cook it outside, folks, not in your garage, yes. in the driveway. In like, what, two hours or an hour or something? Right, it like it's really fast. fast. Yeah. Wow. Well, so. It's kind of juicy. Oh, it's, yeah. But it's not really greasy good. juicy. And not crispy either, like you'd no. think, but yeah. No. Okay. All right, we're um, hungry now. So he liked to uh, sit naked in front of open windows to take air baths <laughs> and prevent sickness. Air baths. <laughs> not sunbathing, air baths. Uh, Franklin thought that nudity was good for one's health, so he regularly took air baths to ward off illness. He also dispelled the theory that cold weather contributed to people catching the common cold. 
and instead believed that people got sick in winter because they were cooped up in close quarters that made it easier for germs to fester and multiply. To increase the air circulation in his home, he'd open up the windows and sit in front of them without any clothes on. I kind of agree with him in terms of the, the air. The, oh, you for say sure. cooped up and you all get sick. Yeah, got to have that. But but you could keep your clothes on. Yes, you don't need to keep them. I, mean. <laughs> I think that's just an excuse for him. Yes. Shall I do the next one? Go for it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, he, I, I do like open windows, even in winter time. Oh, me too. Yeah. So, and I like the phrase air bath. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go take an air bath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With my clothes on. I was going to say, neighbors. everybody, just close yeah. your uh, blinds, people. You don't want to see that when I'm taking an air bath. <laughs> okay. He believed in casual sex. And I think anybody who's read anything about Ben Franklin knows this. I mean, he did. Franklin had a rather robust sex life. That's an understatement. And may have fathered as many as 15 illegitimate children. In his ed- essay, advice on the choice of a mistress. Essay. An essay. Yes, he wants. <laughs> you know, he's he's helping people out here, giving them advice. <laughs> he advised that young men should choose older women as lovers because, among other things, they would be grateful for the attention. He also noted that one doesn't notice a woman's age in the dark. Hmm. Franklin was married for thirty-eight years, but he had many mistresses. Some of his female companions were just friends, while others were sexual partners. He spoke of his frequent uh, dalliances in his autobiography, writing, quote, The hard-to-be-governed passion of my youth had hurried me frequently into intrigues with low women that fell in my way. End quote. See, that's a little insulting. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me rephrase that. That's a lot insulting. <laughs> low women. Like, yes. you had nothing to do with it. It's their fault. Um, and his sexual appetites didn't wane with middle age. Franklin was often accompanied by younger women from age 50 and on. I mean, he is also in a time period, too, where women have no rights. And little choices. Right. So, yeah. I mean. And fewer options. It's just interesting that he chose to write essays about it. Because I think yeah. that still, it was still kind of looked it down upon, even if it was. Is it advice or do you think he's boasting? I don't, it just seems like he just documented everything, right? That's so, kind I mean, of my guess. There's no real motivation. No. Because, um, I mean, what we're reading here is he is kind of odd and just yeah. shares what he thinks <laughs> without <laughs> editing himself. He would have been good on Facebook. Yeah. Right. Here's what yes. I had for lunch. Here's the person <laughs> I went to lunch with. <laughs> uh, Benjamin Franklin could not have made a lot of money from his inventions, but he decided he not. He could have made. Oh, good. Good editor right there. He could have made. But he decided not to patent any of them, as he believed that his ideas should be used freely by the public. In his mind, they were intended to make everyday life simpler, so everyone deserved to have access to his inventions. He explained in his autobiography, As we enjoy the advantages from the inventions of others, we should be glad of an opportunity to serve others by any invention of ours. And this we should do freely and generously. That's kind of amazing. It is. Especially when he's inventing flippers. Right. And obviously he had a good income at the time too. Yes. He was America's first storm chaser. In 1750, Franklin read about a water spout in the Mediterranean Sea that had come ashore and caused a panic in Italy. Through his research, he discovered that similar weather patterns happened on land, which he called whirlwinds or land spouts. Someone else later coined the term tornado. He theorized that water spouts were ascending columns of air while everyone else thought they were filled with water. In 1754, while visiting a friend in Maryland, he saw such a whirlwind in person. His companions quickly left the area, but Franklin chased after it on his horse and followed it into the woods where it sucked up leaves, branches, and other debris. He later described the tornado. 
The progressive motion of the whirl was not so swift, but that a man on foot might have kept pace with it. But the circular motion was amazingly rapid. Wow. I'm surprised the horse would like go with him. Right? I would assume like the horse would have been skittish. Uh, uh, in 1776, when he was 70 years old, Franklin traveled to France with instructions from the Continental Congress to seek military aid for the American Revolution. Already renowned world, worldwide for his lighting experiments... He also made waves among the fashion elite for his nondescript clothing and fur hats. People were dazzled by the look of an American frontiersman. French women even donned large wigs dubbed, uh, coif- what is this, coiffure à, à la Franklin. In 1778, Franklin started wearing a white hat, and a Parisian men copied that look as well. <laughs> At age 16, he pretended to be a widow and wrote a popular weekly column. Hmm. Franklin's brother James launched a weekly newspaper called the New England Courant in the 1720s, and a 16-year-old Benjamin decided that he wanted to contribute by secretly submitting the Silence Dogwood God, Do Good Silence Do Good column. It featured articles about fashion, marriage, women's rights, religion, mm. and other topics, all from the perspective of an apparent widow. The essays and commentary were so popular that Franklin, posing as Mrs. Duguid, was pursued by several eligible bachelors in Boston who wanted her hand in marriage. Franklin eventually told his brother the truth about writing 14 of these essays. Oh, my goodness. And James was not pleased. The following year, Franklin moved to Philadelphia because he was tired of working for his brother. Sure. And Titan Leeds understands how all of those yes. people felt. <laughs> it started early. Uh, when Franklin died in 1790, it was discovered in his will that he gave 2,000 pounds of sterling to Boston and Philadelphia under a few conditions. First, the money was to be put in a trust for the first 100 years and was then only to be used for loans for local tradesmen. A certain percentage of it could be spent, but the rest had to be saved for another 100 years. They were used to help build the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia and the Benjamin Franklin Institute of Technology in Boston. He created the first volunteer fire department in the United States. He did a lot to help others, including creating the first volunteer fire department in the U.S. He believed that fire prevention methods needed improvement and even published several articles, of course he did, in the Pennsylvania Gazette about the issue. As a result, in 1736, the Union Fire Company was created and was even playfully known as Benjamin Franklin's Bucket Brigade. Franklin's love of swimming started when he was a child growing up in Boston. He enjoyed using a kite to skim across the water, and one of his first inventions was a pair of hand paddles that he used to travel on the Charles River. A friend even noticed his swimming skills in the 1720s and proposed that Franklin open a swimming school. (laughs) He did not, but he was still a big advocate of children learning how to swim. He later received an honorary induction into the International Swimming Hall of Fame. I wonder if he showed up to... uh... Received the award. Right, with his fins. That's right. He was America's first celebrity. In the mid-1700s, America was just a blip on the world's radar. Most renowned musicians, artists, and scientists lived in Europe. But Franklin was a Renaissance man who made a name for himself abroad with his scientific inventions, his writings, and his role as an ambassador. The French in particular were obsessed with the rotund man who wore spectacles. (laughs) They used his image on snuff boxes and other items, and engravings of Franklin were hung in their apartments. When he died, his autobiography was initially published in French. Interesting. 
Uh, Franklin was inducted into the U.S. Chess Hall of Fame in 1999. He first started competing in chess competitions as early as 1733. In the 1770s and 80s, he spent a lot of time in Paris as the U.S. ambassador to France and frequently sought out challengers to practice his skills. He also wrote the article, The Morals of Chess, in 1779, writing that the game strengthened several very valuable qualities of the mind. And then uh, there was one more item, but we're running out of time. But he yeah. invented the uh, the glass harmonica. Ooh, yes. Which is kind of like glasses full when you're at a bar and you make music with glasses. Yeah. <laughs> what a wacky guy. It's interesting that a scientist also has this sort of alter ego of somebody who doesn't tell the truth. Yes. So he's very intelligent, but then... Lies a lot. Yes. Embellishes. <laughs> right. He's a storyteller. A storyteller. He's the, he wants to be the center of attention. But that's usually not what science, I mean, scientists yeah. are so, you know, yeah. so and, interesting. And, and for the record, he did not invent electricity. Right. <laughs> he did not discover it. <laughs> he just, and he didn't say that he did either. That's right. No, he never did claim to. So. Right. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. It was but a good one. I like the Mr. Leeds thing, and that's what led to <laughs> me thinking about. There's some other things about Ben Franklin we may not know. Yeah. So. I always All look it up. Go make some history. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for joining us for An Adventure in History. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.